So we're going we're gonna to go back today. I do feel this. And we're going to try again to finish up a lesson that we started several weeks ago. And uh, each time that we have gotten into it, the Holy Ghost has moved. And I pray it will happen again today. And again, if he wants to take over before I finish, that's fine. But when I started looking at these notes and praying about today, and realized where we are starting and what we're going to start with when I get to uh, the continuance of the lesson, when I get past the review, um, I realized how timely it was. And, and I've seen God do that. As, as I've taught through the Bible, I've seen that I intended to get to a scripture. And for whatever reason, it was a week or two before I got to that verse. But in that week or two, things happened, things transpired, that that particular verse became more relevant at that moment than it would have been at the time I had planned to address it. And um, I believe that God has got his hand in all of this. So, Ezekiel 37, verse number 1. Ezekiel 37, verse number 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold a shaking, and the bones came together bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above. But there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say unto the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon the slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Amen. Amen. And so the end of the story is that they became an exceeding great army. But the story begins when the Lord took Ezekiel and set him in a valley. Praise God. It started in a valley, but it ended in victory. So we're going to, again today, we're going to talk to you about the Valley of Victory. And this is part four of this series, the Valley of Victory. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your hearts, lift your voices. 
Let's talk to the Lord right now. Let's ask him to meet with us once again. We need the touch of God in this place. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now, God, surrendering our will. Surrendering, oh God, our spirit to you. I ask you, Lord, that you would use me today. I ask you, God, that you would help me, Lord, to deliver the burden of my heart today. I need the touch of the Holy Ghost. I need your power, your presence, your glory to fill this house today. Lord Jesus, I ask you, Lord, for your anointing in a special way, not only upon me, but upon the hearers, God, whether they be present physically or they are at home listening, God, I ask you to meet with them in a mighty way. Do a work in this place, I pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, would you worship him one more time before you're seated today? Everybody lift your voice in worship to the Lord. Let's thank him for what we've already felt. Let's thank him for what he's going to do in the remainder of this service. Praise God, praise God, amen, amen, amen. God bless you, you may be seated. I don't want to spend too much time in review, but it has been uh, a number of weeks now since we last taught this lesson or started into this lesson. And so I do think there is a need for me to do some review. And, and uh, so please bear with me this morning, uh, but I'm anxious to get into some new territory and deal with some other things that I've not yet addressed. Praise God. When I first began this lesson, uh, I reminded the church that we had spent some time. It's now been uh, over a year ago, but we found ourselves in a deep, dark valley. A time when our services were bound and when we went months without anyone receiving the Holy Ghost or even being able to get a visitor to come to church. And I began to focus in that primary lesson uh, on the fact that it was out of the valley in our text that the Lord brought uh, Ezekiel and brought the people of Israel into a time of great victory. I then made the application and said that I believe that God had done the same thing for the truth church. In our time of valley, God brought great victory. Amen. And I believe that the victory has only just begun. I know, I know, and I understand that in the last few weeks we've seen a fresh round of attacks from hell. But listen to me, that doesn't change the outcome. It does not change what God intends to do. Oh, praise God. Amen. I started to say this earlier, and I think the church knows I'm not one to just find a devil under every rock, but I will tell you, I don't believe it's a coincidence, and I don't believe it's an accident that just as we begin a week of consecration and dedication and fasting and repentance, that all of a sudden sickness breaks out through the church and the devil's trying to wreak havoc. Listen, that's not a coincidence. 
but we need to understand he wouldn't do that if he wasn't worried. He wouldn't do that if he wasn't afraid. If he didn't think there was victory that was coming our way, he wouldn't be fighting us the way he's fighting us. Listen to me, saint of God. Don't grow discouraged right now. Don't, don't throw in the towel right now. We are on the precipice of the greatest victory, the greatest revival, the greatest outpouring that we have ever seen before. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. And so, and so, we must recognize, even now, even as the devil's trying his best to suck us back into yet another valley, we need to not resent this valley, but to see it as a time of restoration. Amen. In the valley is where God restores our soul. Amen. I, I, I then came along the next week and picked up uh, on that thought and I didn't get very far in my notes that week. And then, and then I uh, came back a third time and started into the points that I'd been hoping to cover from the beginning. And, and, and so the points where I was trying to get to, uh, I, I want to deal with uh, the, the cure for the crisis. Uh, I want to talk about what it takes uh, to turn the valley into a place of victory and how we can maintain that victory going forward. Praise God. Amen. As I've already said, the valley is not to be seen as a bad experience. Uh, Amen. We need to see it as the place of transition. This is where things are happening. This is where things are taking place. No, it may not be the mighty army yet, but there are differences. There are things we can look at and we can see that God has already started putting together. God's already starting to work and we can see the handiwork of the almighty right now in the midst of of our valley. Praise God. Amen. I pointed out uh, in previous lessons that God used a preacher uh, to turn the dry bones into a dread battalion. And I talked about how God used uh, brought a man at the right time and brought us an evangelist that was sensitive enough to know uh, the mind of God and to help us to get turned around. And and, and I'm telling you, uh, I'm telling you here today, uh, amen, that it's going to come uh, through preaching, uh, uh, not just from me, but from every man that steps behind this pulpit. Uh, amen. As God gives us grace uh, and other visiting preachers come uh, and even those that are here in this assembly we need to keep our ears tuned amen to the voice of God and listen for what God's got to say because he's changing things and he's doing something and everything God is going to accomplish amen it's going to come through the direction of the ministry praise God amen God gives to a preacher a perspective and a viewpoint that, that others cannot see because God sets him as a watchman on the wall. The watchman sees beyond the walls of the city. The watchman can see far down the road. Amen. That others are not able to see beyond the walls. Praise God. 
praise God. Now, I'm going to tell you that, that in order to cure this crisis, uh, the man of God, uh, Ezekiel, was not to pull any punches. Uh, he didn't get up and start telling them, you are a mighty army. He started out with the words, oh, ye dry bones. He called it just like it was, uh, no matter how harsh it sounded. And I'm telling you, that's the reason why we started seeing a turn. Amen. God sent an evangelist who didn't preach his opinions. He preached the truth in love. He told us just where we were. He called it like he saw it. And church, if it's going to continue, if we're going to go on to ultimate victory, I've got to do the same thing. It's not always going to be a rosy picture. It's not always going to be words of encouragement and uplifting. But once in a while, there's going to have to be correction. There's going to have to be rebuke. There's going to have to be things that help to bring us back to focus. It's the only way that we're going to be able to shake off this valley once and for all and become the army that God wants us to be. Praise God. Amen. The preacher, the preacher was to cast a vision. He had to tell those bones. Now you're preaching to bones. Bones don't have ears. They don't have eardrums. And it would look like to Ezekiel, why am I wasting my time? Why am I even saying this? But God said, say it. And so he did. And he got up and told them, here's what God is going to do. And he laid it out completely. We read it in our text. He said, here's what's going to happen. He meant God is going to come. He's going to put sinews and muscle. He's going to cover you with flesh. He's going to put spirit back within you. He began to cast the vision. Here's what's going to happen. Amen. As transformation continues. The Bible says without a vision, the people perish. And I've been doing my best to make my vision clear to you. But I said it before and I say again, it's, it, it can't just be my vision. It's got to be your vision. You've got to see it that way as well. You've got to quit looking at the dry bones. You've got to quit amen, trying to find this one's dead and that one's not doing very good and see a vision of what's about to happen. Quit looking at the way things are and see them the way God wants them to be. Listen, that's why you're sitting where you're sitting. Because God didn't see you as you were. But he saw what he wanted to make out of you. And somehow, we got to get that same vision. We got to catch, amen, that same purpose. We got to start seeing folks for what God wants to make out of them. Rather than what they are right now. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And then, one of the last things, probably the last thing that I covered in the last lesson was the fact that the change didn't start until there was a response from the pew. There had to be a response from the pew. Ezekiel said, as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold... A shaking. Amen. Ezekiel wasn't doing it all alone. It wasn't a one-man show. 
there was a response from those that were out there that he was preaching to. I talked about this, and this is as far as we got. Amen. In our last lesson, it, it, this was, this was a, as far as I was able to make it before the Holy Ghost moved in. But I, I want to just say it again, and then we'll move on. I want to tell you, saints, when we're encouraging you to back the preacher, it's not so the preacher will feel good about himself, but it's because there is something that happens when you make a connection in the spirit, when there is just as much anointing on the pew as there is in the pulpit we talked about it Tuesday night there is something that's issuing forth from this platform but you gotta get under that you gotta get a hold of that you gotta help move that along you gotta get that same feeling from God it's not about the preacher just preaching but it's about you feeling every word that's being said it's about you responding to everything that's being declared. Hallelujah. They didn't even start to take shape until they decided to respond to the preaching. And it was as they were responding, and I said it before and I say again, Amen. It's during those moments. It's one thing to hear a message that moves you. It's one thing to hear a lesson that impresses you. But it's another thing to get under the anointing of that lesson or that message. And I'm telling you, it's while you're under that same anointing. It's while you are making a verbal and visible and physical response to the preaching of the word that God starts taking those dry bones of yours and starts putting things together. God starts doing a work in your life. You'll be surprised when you really get into the same heartbeat with the preacher. When you really get in sync with what's going on from the pulpit, you'll be surprised at the changes that transpire, the things that happen. Amen. In your own life, you walk out of here not just saying, well, that was a good message, but you walk out of here saying, I feel different. Something happened to me today. Something took place in my life today the word of God had an impact on me listen to me see this is why and I, I've got to move on but, but, but this is one of the tricks of the devil people get discouraged people go out and do crazy things and then they come to church and the Holy Ghost is moving and the devil says, you don't deserve to respond. You're being a hypocrite right now. You know what you've done. You know why he's putting that shame and guilt on you? Because he knows the moment you start responding, God starts digging all of that garbage out of your heart. Well... I said the moment you start responding to the move of the Holy Ghost, that's when God starts trying to get all of that out of your mind, out of your spirit. But as long as you just sit there unmoved, unshaken, then it just continues to grow on the inside of you. And it just gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. And so he, he, he loads you with guilt and condemnation so that you won't get free. 
I'm preaching to somebody here today. I'm telling you, you got to shake that off. You got to get rid of that. Quit thinking about what everybody else is thinking. Hallelujah. Quit worrying about how everyone else sees you and reach out to God in desperation. God, I've got to be made free. I got to be delivered. I need your help. I don't want to stay a dry bone anymore. I want to be a part of the army you're building. You wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't have some desire to be a part of what God's doing. You didn't have to get up. You didn't have to come to church. You didn't have to listen to this stream today. There must be some desire on your part to get right. But why waste your time just sitting there under a cloud of guilt and condemnation? Why not let the Holy Ghost do what you want him to do? He's not going to grab you by the nap of the neck and throw you into an altar. He's not going to grab your two feet and make you run the aisles. He's not going to grab your two hands and make them clap or make them go into the air. That's not the way God works. God has given you a free will and he's waiting on you to use that will, amen, and begin to reach out to him. I I want somebody to understand today that the only way you can change from where you are into what you want God to make you is that you respond when the Holy Ghost is working. You gotta get involved in the service. Come on, saints. Some of you will admit the reason you got so dry before Brother Savala came is you'd lost that desire for fervent worship. You'd learned how to come in and just sit on a pew and endure a service. But something about the man of God, he stirred up a fresh desire. Don't lose that desire now. Don't lose that fervor now. I'm telling you, the battle is heating up now more than ever. You gotta get a hold of the moving of the spirit you gotta get in tune with what God is trying to accomplish hallelujah praise God hallelujah I've got to move on I've got to move on but it is amazing you can read where the apostle talked about the word preached did not profit them. He, he, says, he says, you know, there's two groups of people and both of them hear the same message. But for one group, it doesn't do them any good because it's not mixed with faith. Do you know what your response is doing? It's expressing your faith that you're hearing from God. Do you know what your lack of response is doing? It's expressing your doubt that God can do anything for you or with you. Well, hallelujah. 
Praise God. Now listen, if you think God is, I'm going to get into it if the Lord will allow me. I'm going to get there in a little while. But I'm going to tell you, if you think God can't do anything with you, you don't know God like I know God. You don't understand how big, how powerful, how gracious, how loving, how merciful, how kind, how compassionate. Oh, come on, somebody. You don't understand this God and just how much he wants you to be saved. A couple of years ago in reading through the Bible and hopefully, 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 a lot of you finished reading your Bible this year. We'll find out, later we'll find out how many did so we can... uh, Give some awards to those who did. And if you didn't, there's always this year. Get started now. Get on it. Get on it. Get it done. But a couple of years ago in reading through the Bible, my wife remarked to me. She said, you know, it's amazing to me as she was going through Kings and Chronicles. And I know for some of you that's, that's, that's the part that you struggle to stay awake on. That's the part that just kind of gets a little difficult that and Deuteronomy and Leviticus and you know, but really Kings and Chronicles, there's there's some stories there that can really benefit you if you really pay some attention. My wife commented, she said, It just amazes me as I read and I see these kings who were so wicked and so evil spent their entire life doing what was wrong, knowing it was wrong, encouraging the people to do wrong. And yet when they got to the end of their life, they cried out to mercy, cried out for mercy to God, and lo and behold, God granted it. Now we're talking about people that that weren't baptized in Jesus' name, didn't have the Holy Ghost. And people that spent their life fighting against the things of God. But in the last few moments reached out to God and and asked for mercy. And God reached down and had mercy. Now listen to me. When you understand that about God, you don't give up. Because you know God's not going to give up. God wants you saved more than you could ever want to be saved. That's why he wrapped himself in flesh. That's why he went through what he did. Because he wants you to be saved. Not just me. Not just the preachers. He wants everybody to be saved. Somehow you got to get a fresh revelation of that. Well, hallelujah. Your lack of response is a statement, an open statement to God to the church, to the devil, that you don't believe that God will do it for you. Hallelujah. You're kind of helping those forces from the outside. But let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, Start with some new territory here. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 7. I made reference to this, but there's a lot here. We're going to come back. Verses 7 and 8, we're going to have to deal with these uh, quite a bit, I think. Uh, Let's read verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. All right, now, here's what I want you to notice. I've already talked about there was a noise, there was a shaking. That much we know. 
What I want to point out to you right now is that the bones came together. Bone to his bone. Now this is amazing to me because the Bible says that they were scattered throughout that valley. We're not talking about skeletons that are laying here fully assembled. We're talking about bones that have been there. The Bible says they were very dry. Obviously, they'd been there for a long, long time. The hot sun of those Middle Eastern deserts, the wind that blows, those bones had been scattered. And yet, as Ezekiel started preaching, the old spiritual said, hip bone connected to the leg bone and the leg bone connected to the knee bone. Here's what I'm telling you. The leg bone didn't connect to the shoulder bone. And the leg bone of one individual didn't connect to the hip bone of another individual. Every bone came together bone to his bone every bone had a place in a particular body and when the anointing fell those bones just knew where they belonged and they didn't fuss brother Nelson the toe bone didn't start griping and I've been a toe bone too long. I want to be a finger bone. They didn't start complaining. And I'm not getting enough glory and enough spotlight. I'm telling you when the anointing fell, I don't know how it happened. It must have been a sight to behold. But all of a sudden, it's like... It's like a big jigsaw puzzle that's been dumped out on the floor and suddenly every piece just starts shifting around and finds where it belongs and just connects exactly where it should have been in the first place. Well, hallelujah. I'm talking about how we get out of the valley and how we stay out of the valley. And part of this process is as the bones come together, bone to his bone. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 24 to 27. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together. God has tempered the body together. Having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body. No schism, that is no division in the body. But that the members should have the same care one for but another. every member has the same care one for another. And whether one member suffers. Hey, 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 when one member suffers. All the members suffer with it. Everybody suffers with it. You ever thought about this? Did you ever smash your thumb? And all of a sudden... Now, why did you do that? Your side's not hurting. Your armpit's not hurting. Your elbow's not hurting. But you know what happens? Without even thinking about it, the other members of the body say, I'm going to protect what's hurting right now. 
I'm telling you, church, this is the mindset God wants to put within a real apostolic church. Instead of trying to figure out who sinned, this man or his parents, we say, wait a minute, somebody in this body is hurting and we are going to come together. We're going to forget about our own problems. We're going to forget about our own wants and our own desires. And we're going to do everything we can to nourish that part that is hurting right now. The bones come together bone to his bone. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or, or one member if be one honored, member is honored, all members we don't sit back and say he doesn't deserve that, she doesn't deserve that. You don't know this about them. You don't know what they said. You don't, no, 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 no. If they're honored, everybody rejoices that they're getting honored. Well, hallelujah, we're not quite ready to run the aisles over all that, but I'm telling you, this is where we've got to get to. This is a part of what's going to turn us into the kind of army God wants us to be. We can't have schisms. We can't have cliques. We can't have this group and that group, and, and this one stays alone to themselves. No, friend, you need the body. Well, I don't want to be hurt. I've been hurt by others. I'm telling you, you need to shake that off. You need to cast it in the fire like the serpent that it is and say, I've got to have the body. They may have hurt me. I may have had problems, but I need the body. I've got to have my brothers and sisters. I've got to have the others that are in the church. We need one another. Hallelujah. Verse 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. And members in particular. And you are members in particular. That means you, you have a specific role. Vincent's word study says this phrase means each according to his own place and function bone to his bone it, it connects in what Paul says right here in 1 Corinthians 12 27 is a direct correlation to Ezekiel 37 7 bone to his bone each according to his own place you are members in particular each according to his own place and function. Saints, when we really become one, like God wants us to be one, when we really become one, listen to, we know this, but let's listen again, Psalm 133, verses one through three, listen to this. Behold, Behold how good and how, how pleasant, good and how pleasant it, is it is for brethren, for brethren to, dwell to dwell together in together unity. In unity. What's it like? Read. It is like the precious it's ointment like upon the head. It. Now, do you know what ointment we're talking about here? Do you know what ointment we're discussing here? We're not talking about like uh, some kind of medical uh, balm. We're talking about the anointing. It's like the anointing on the head that ran down upon the beard. Even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. 
Now, this is amazing, and I don't want to spend too much time here because I've got, I've got some more I want to try to say before my time is up today. But I do want you to notice this. The anointing ran down. It started at the head, and it ran down. Hallelujah. The one time we read about someone's feet being anointed, it was when Mary anointed the feet of Jesus, and the Bible says she was doing that for his burial. She's getting ready for him to die and started at the feet. But here we're talking about something that's alive and the anointing starts at the head and it runs down. When you're not connected to the body, how are you going to get under that flow of anointing? When you're out here by yourself trying to do your own thing, how are you going to get under that anointing? I'm telling you, we got to come together. There is a special anointing that comes when a church becomes unified. When we really become one, there's a special anointing that starts flowing from the head and it runs down all the way to the skirts of his garments. You say, I'm just the least. I'm nobody here. I'm going to tell you something, my friend. The anointing can still get to you. Even if that is true, the anointing can get to you if you'll just get into your place in the body. It's like the anointing. And it's like what? Verse 3. As the dew of Hermon. And as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, uh-huh. for there the uh-huh. Lord commanded uh-huh. the blessing. It's like the dew. It's like the dew that settles on the mountain of Hermon. That dew, you know what the dew, the purpose for the dew, it is to help to bring life. It's to help to water those plants. Well, praise God, the dew brings life. Unity is like the dew. Amen. Hallelujah. Unity brings life to a church. Unity will begin to produce fruit within a church. Why? Let's keep reading. For the Lord commanded the the blessing. There, the Lord did what? Commanded the blessing. Commanded the blessing. Oh, I like that. Amen. He commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Listen, I, I, I like it when God starts commanding blessings. You know, there's not a devil that can get in the way of a command from God. You know, when God commands something, the devil doesn't have enough authority or enough strength to stand in the way of the command of God. You know, God's made some promises to us, and I appreciate the promise, but I'm ready for some commands. I'm ready for God to look down on us and start commanding some things to happen in our midst. Oh, help me, church. I'm telling you, this is what comes as a result of a unified body. It goes from promised blessings to commanded blessings. Now the devil can't stop the promised blessings, but he can postpone them. He can get people in the way. He can move people in such a way that those promises are postponed 
They'll ultimately be fulfilled. But they can be postponed. But I'm telling you, when God starts commanding things, the devil has no authority anymore. When God commands something, the devil has to step out of the way. Well, praise God. Maybe I need to come back sometime and preach. I preached a message many, many years ago. Uh, he who now letteth will let. He meant something about when God says let. Once God uses that, it's a command from God. And the devil doesn't have the authority to stand in the way. The world was, was engulfed in darkness until God said, let there be light. Darkness, turn loose. Darkness, get out of the way. You don't have authority here anymore. God said, let there be light. And there was light. Well, praise God. Something about when God commands the blessing. There is a power that comes to a unified body. It's now been... I don't even know, maybe a year, a year and a half. I don't know how long it's been. It's been a while. But I, I preached to this church a message that I entitled All the Fullness. And in that, I, in that message, I talked about how when we become the body of Christ, then the same fullness that, is, that was in Christ as he walked on earth works within the body. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in him. How? How? For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And what are we? We're his body. All the fullness of the Godhead is still in his body. And I proved that in Ephesians 1. Let's, let's go to it. I, I did a little more digging on this uh, since I preached that message to this church. And I, I've, I've, uh, I, I want to I bring something out here. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which is wrought in Christ. Now, 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 hang on, hang on. What is the exceeding greatness? Everyone say exceeding greatness. Everyone say exceeding greatness. Those of you at home say exceeding greatness. Praise God. Hallelujah. I want, you to, I want you to remember this phrase. What is the exceeding greatness of his power? Read. To us who believe, uh -huh. according to the working of his mighty power. Right. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. And what does the right hand of God represent? Power. All right. Read. For above all principality and power. Far above all principality and power. And might and, and might dominion, dominion. And every name every that name is named, named. Not only in this world. Not just in this world. But also in that which is to come. In the world that's to come. 
and hath put all things put under his feet. Everything under his feet. And gave to be gave the head over him all things to, be head, to the church. Head over all things to the church. Which is his body. Which is his body. The fullness of him that the filleth all in all. The of him that filleth all in all. The church is his body. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Now, here's, we, I, I spent time dealing with that aspect of it. But I want you to really grasp today what the Apostle Paul is saying has been given to the church. The fullness of God operates in us, not individually. None of us has the fullness of God dwelling in us as did Christ. He had it as an individual. We don't have it individually. We only have it corporately. We only have it collectively as a body. Now, if we're scattered and we're divided, we're not a body. But when we come together and we are unified, we're a body. And when we are a body, the fullness, the same fullness, how is it that Christ could open blinded eyes? How could he do it? We know that Christ... The son of God was a man. He was both man and God, right? On the inside, he was God. On the outside, he was man, right? When we talk about Christ, we talk about the son. We're talking about his humanity. How was it that he was able to open blinded eyes? Unstop deaf ears. Heal leprosy. Raise the dead. How could the man, Christ Jesus, do that? He did it because the fullness of God was dwelling in him. So if the fullness of God is dwelling in the church, there's no reason why we can't. See blinded eyes open. Deaf ears unstopped. Sicknesses healed. The dead raised. But it happens when we come together and unify as a body. Now let me talk to you for just a minute. We, well, I dealt with all that, but I want to talk to you just a minute about just how powerful this really is. We're going to go back to verse 19 and focus on something here. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? Uh, I want you to say it again, exceeding greatness. Now I want you to really comprehend what's being said here. Amen. A, a, a cursory a study or a cursory reading of this verse would lead us to believe that the word exceeding is an adjective that describes God's greatness. Amen. And, and that perspective alone ought to give us something to shout about. Amen. Because God is not just great. He is exceedingly great. Deuteronomy 10, 17 says this. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, a great God, a mighty and a terrible, which regardeth not persons nor taketh rewards. Now, now I, I don't want to get into this too much. don't want to get too sidetracked because I'm up against the clock here. But, but just know this, that um, 
I, I was listening to a, to a man uh, recently who began to explain that in the Hebrew, anytime you read something of something, uh, that this is, this is significant. It, it really carries a very special uh, emphasis when you talk about him being the God of gods. That, that means he's not just one of them, that he's not just among them, but that among every God that there is, they would all be subject to him, that he is over all gods. When he is called the Lord of lords, he is the Lord to whom all other lords must answer. So this Lord that we serve is the God of gods. And he is the Lord of lords. He is the king of kings. He is a great God. He's a mighty God. He's a terrible God. Now that doesn't mean bad. That means full of terror. Which regardeth not persons nor taketh reward. Amen. Let's read 1 Samuel 2 and 2. There is none holy, none as, the Lord, holy as the Lord. For there is none, there beside, is none thee, beside thee. Neither is there any neither rock is there like any our rock God. That is like our God. Exodus 8 and 10 says there is none like unto the Lord our God. Now listen, I'm telling you that it is true. It is true that he possesses exceeding greatness. Uh, and using that word exceeding as uh, an, an adjective that describes uh, uh, his greatness. But that's not the way this word appears in Ephesians 1.19. In Ephesians 1.19 the word uh, exceeding is not an adjective. I'm not trying to get you bogged down in English lessons, all right? But, but this is important. Not only do words mean things, but, but uh, uh, the kind of words carry significance as well. And we would read this as exceeding greatness where exceeding describes his greatness. But that's not in the original. That's not what this is. This word exceeding, and this is where I looked this up and I studied this out, but this word exceeding is not an adjective. It is a verb. It is an action word, if you please. Hallelujah. It describes what his greatness is doing. It's not just that he possesses exceeding greatness. It's that his greatness is exceeding. Now, it is present tense, active voice. What that means is right now, at this very moment, his greatness continues to exceed. What his greatness was yesterday is nothing compared to what it is today. For today it exceeds what his greatness was yesterday. And tomorrow it will exceed what it has been today. Are you hearing me? This word exceeding as it's used in this verse means to throw beyond the usual mark or to surpass. In other words, God's greatness is exceeding. It's continuing to exceed. It's continuing to surpass anything and everything it has ever been or ever will be. He is greater in 2022 than he was in 2021. 
He's greater in January of this year than he was in December of last year. Oh, listen to me, church. Amen. We're serving a God who is great. Yes, he's great. He's greater than anything out there. But he just keeps getting greater and greater and greater. And that greatness is what's working in the body of Christ. I'm telling you, I'm telling you that the only thing that hinders seeing things that would blow our mind is our lack of ability to come together totally, completely as a body. But the moment we do, God's going to exceed anything we've seen. Now, what did we see in 2021? What are some things we saw in 2021? We saw some miracles happen. We saw some people healed. But can I tell you that what God's got for 2022 exceeds what we saw last year? I'm thankful for the revival we had in 21, but God's got a revival for 22 that exceeds. Woo, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, God's got a revival that exceeds what we saw last year. God's got something in store for the true church to go beyond anything we have ever imagined. When I wake up tomorrow, Brother Golf, God's going to be greater than he was today. When I come back to church next Sunday, God's going to be greater than he was this Sunday. I'm telling you, his greatness just keeps on exceeding. Hallelujah. Oh, let's thank God. Let's thank God. Hallelujah. Oh, God. This is the reason why, church. This is the reason why the devil wants to keep things stirred up among church members. This is the reason why he wants somebody mad at somebody else. He wants somebody's feelings to be hurt by somebody else in the church. Now look, if they hurt your feelings, shame on them. But if you let it get to you, shame on you. You can't do anything about what somebody else does. You can only do something about how you respond to it. You don't have to get bitter and you don't have to get angry and you don't have to get revenge. 
Well, hallelujah, you can take the attitude, amen, that Christ took, amen, and just go ahead and submit yourself, amen, just go ahead and do it and say somehow, I'm going to keep revival in mind, I'm going to keep unity in mind, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, they didn't mean it, they weren't intending to do it, they're not trying to shun me, come on, get that stuff out of your head, I'm telling you, the devil is putting stuff in people's heads, we got to get it out of there. God wants us to become unified, to become one so that his fullness can operate in our midst so that he can exceed himself with every service. You understand? You understand? I said, when we come back next Sunday, God will be greater than he is this Sunday. And when I get up tomorrow, God will be greater than he is today. But do you understand? When we come to church tonight, this is present, active, indicative. That may not mean much to, to most of you, but it does mean a little something to me. Amen. Present, Right now, and active, it's ongoing in the present. And it is indicative of what, what has happened, what is happening, and what will continue to happen. It indicates that what's going on right now is going to continue going on. His greatness is exceeding. I'm going to tell you, at the end of this service, God's greater than he was at the beginning. That's the kind of God we serve. God's not losing power. I know the world is going stark raving mad. I know everything is falling apart around us, but God's not. God's just getting greater and greater and greater and greater. And he's just waiting for the church to get that revelation. He's waiting for the church to become his body so he can start working again like he did when he walked on earth. Come on, saints of God. I'm telling you, the revival that fell at Azusa Street. Oh, it was great. It was wonderful. But think about it. It's been over a hundred years. How much greater is God right now than it was at Azusa Street? In fact, it's been over 2,000 years since the day of Pentecost. How much greater? How much greater is God right now than he was at Pentecost? Praise God. Zusa Street, they came by ships from foreign countries to see for themselves what was going on. Newspapers reported. They made fun of them, but in the midst of making fun, all they really did was stir up curiosity. 
And folks said, I'm going to go check it out for myself. And when they got there and felt what was going on, it impacted many of them. You talk about a revival that lasted seven days a week for years. Years. The doors to that mission were never closed. There was somebody there around the clock praying, seeking God. Miracles were happening. An amazing thing we're talking about. We're talking about 1904, 1905, somewhere in there. Racism was at its worst in America. And yet at Azusa Street, every race came together, worshiped together, shouted together. All racial boundaries were erased at Azusa Street. In fact, in fact, most of the criticism, you go back and find those newspaper articles, most of the criticism that went on was not about them speaking in these strange languages or their weird activities of jumping and shouting. They'd mention all that. But most of their criticism was the fact that blacks and whites were worshiping together. But that didn't matter to the folks at Azusa Street because this was a body God was tempering together. Hallelujah. It was a body that was working in unity in harmony and listen to me God is no respecter of persons and what he did at Azusa Street he'll do on Monticello Terrace well hallelujah what he did at the apostolic faith mission he'll do at the truth church in fact, he'll do greater because he is greater. He's greater today than he was in 1905. You hear me? Because his greatness is exceeding. It just keeps getting greater and greater and greater. You talk about a revival back then. If we could tap into that, if we could really become one, if we could really become unified. And let that fullness work in our midst. Now, it was an ordeal for folks to get on a ship and come from other continents. And especially, you got to think, many of them were coming from England, coming to the West Coast. That's not an easy journey. And so, for some of them, they'd have to come in to the East Coast and still travel by train or whatever to get across the entire continent. But they were that determined. Because God was so great and they wanted to see it for themselves. 
And listen to me, saints. I said it the other day in a post on Teams. I say again, what brought about that revival at Azusa Street was exactly what we're doing this week. This time of, of humbling ourselves, this time of repenting before God, this time of consecration, it was that kind of mindset that brought about the revival at Azusa Street. It's already been prophesied here. More than 20 years ago, God said amen, that he was going to give us a revival greater than Azusa Street. That's a promise. That's a promise from God. But I want us to get to a place this week where it goes from a promise to a command. I want it to get to a place where God says it's been long enough. They've waited long enough. I'm commanding it to happen. This is the year of the outpouring of the Spirit. This is the year, amen, when Azusa Street becomes just a faint shadow because of the greatness of the revival that God begins right here in the heart of America. Oh, come on, let's love the Lord. Oh, yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. Show us your greatness, God. Show us your greatness, God. Ah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Master. I love you, Master. Praise God, praise God. Amen, amen. Be seated, be seated. I, I've really only got a little bit more. I know there's still a lot of scriptures on that page, but I've only got a couple more points and I can finish this. I started to just go ahead and, and, and try to close it out right here and and come back next week and finish. But I'm, I'm really, really close to finishing this entire thing. And so I'm going to take, I'm gonna take uh, the, the, the time right now to just go ahead and try to, to, to finish this. Amen. But I don't want us to lose the touch of God that I feel right now. Amen. I'm telling you, God has, has great plans. God is doing great things. And God wants to show us this exceeding greatness. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. By the time we finish these seven days of consecration, God's going to be another week greater than he was now. And we're going to finish it with a time of communion and foot washing. Hallelujah. Which hopefully will bind us together and bring us together as a church like never before. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. We've got to come together and become as one. In fact, Jesus' prayer was that we would be one even as he and the Father are one. 
Now, to a Trinitarian, that means one thing. But to us, when Jesus said he wants us to become as much one as him and the Father, that's saying something. We got a ways to go, as does every church. But the Lord knows we're trying to get there. We're working on it. Hallelujah. We got a goal in mind. And we want to get there because we want to see his greatness continue to exceed. Praise God. Now, let's move on very quickly here. Ezekiel 37, verse 8. And when I beheld lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon, up upon them, and the skin covered them above, and there was no breath in them. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I really am trying to just bring this down to a close. So I may skip some of these scriptures that I've got in here. But it, but it is worth pointing out, it is worth pointing out that before this army ever did battle, God took care of the outside. They had sinews. They, they, they had muscles. They had the skeletal structure. They'd already come together. But they needed the skin, the flesh, to cover them above. Hallelujah. That skin is really a protective organ in the body. How many of you are aware of that? But your skin is the largest organ of your body. And it is classified that way. It's classified as an organ. And so, evidently the heart's there, the lungs are there, everything is there on the inside. But they weren't ready to fight until they looked right on the outside. You see, God does care about our outward appearance. And as much as I believe God's going to give revival, I'm telling you, we're not going to have real revival if it's not a revival that involves holiness and separation. We can't look like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, think like the world, dress like the world, and have a move of God. God does care about our outward appearance. If he didn't care, why are there so many verses in the New Testament that address our outward appearance? And they're there. Very quickly, let's just read 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 and 9. I will therefore that men everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that men, woman, women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Very clear he's dealing with the outward appearance here. First Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of the hair or of the wearing of gold or of putting on of, of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of the meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. 
For, for after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands. And so again, here is the apostle Peter now addressing the idea and the concept that the way we look on the outside does matter to God. It does matter. I, I, one of these days, we'll start a series on holiness. Uh, it's been a while since I've done it. We, we need to do it again. But, but I'm just going to tell you, don't, don't throw at me the scripture that God looks on the, uh, the heart and men look on the outward appearance. And don't, don't try to use that as some scripture that you think would define the fact that God doesn't care about how we look. That's not what that scripture is saying at all. That scripture was given. It was a word given directly to the prophet Samuel. It involved only the choosing of a king. It didn't involve the way the Israelites lived. It dealt with the choosing of a king. And God said to Samuel, don't look at his outward appearance. God's not looking at that when he's choosing a king. In fact, the one thing God said over and over and over about his replacement for Saul was that this was a man after God's own heart. Not a man that had the right stature or the right physique. In fact, if you'll go back and read that verse, that's specifically what God said. said, look, not on his stature or his countenance. It's not dealing with clothing. There are too many other scriptures in the word of God that do deal with clothing for that one to negate all of the others. And even here in the New Testament, and I'll throw this out as well, if God doesn't care about our outward appearance, please explain to me why. Why were the fig leaves not sufficient for Adam and Eve? Somebody said, well, it had to be uh, the, the shedding of an animal's blood. The Bible doesn't say that. And, and the Bible does not tell us that their sins were atoned for. They were cast out of the garden. So don't tell me that it had to be an animal's shed blood. And the Bible doesn't even say that God killed an animal. It just says he clothed them with animal skins. He's the creator of all things he could have created. Seems to me if he was trying to make a point about shedding blood, it would have said God would have told Adam, go kill an animal. But he didn't. Now who's in the garden at this point? Only Adam and Eve and one other occasional visitor. And that's God. And so who was it God was concerned about with this man and woman not being clothed sufficiently? It wasn't that he was concerned about the husband and wife. Obviously, it was God. And I could prove that with other scriptures. Um, I don't have time for that. We'll get into that another time but God does care and I'm telling you that in order for this army to be ready they had to look right on the outside as well but having said that no matter how they looked on the outside they were still not ready for battle let's go back and read Ezekiel 37 8 again and when I beheld lo the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them above 
and there was no breath in them. Mm. So there's the problem. They looked right on the outside, but they weren't all right on the inside. They may have looked the part, but at this point they were nothing more than corpses until something else happened. Something else had to transpire. Something else had to take place. You see, the Bible tells us we need more than just a form of godliness. 2 Timothy 3, 5, read. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. This word form means appearance. It means the mere semblance. Amen. They have a semblance or an appearance of godliness but they don't have the power that comes with it where does power come from ye shall receive power after that what what the holy ghost has come upon you what was it that this army of corpses still needed they looked the part they had everything right they had everything in order but there was something that they still needed before they were ready to fight read now ezekiel 37 verses 9 and 10 the last two verses of our text read for me then he said unto me he prophesy said unto me prophesy unto again son of man Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, wind, Thus saith the Lord God, God, Come from the four winds, O breath, And breathe upon these slain, That they may live. live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, And the breath came into them, And they lived, And and stood stood up upon their feet, feet, An exceeding exceeding great great army. I'm telling you, here's what had to happen. The preacher kept preaching until the Holy Ghost fell when the spirit fell that's what gave them the power they didn't need to just look like soldiers they needed the power to fight and that power only comes with the Holy Ghost I'm here to tell you today we're not gonna make it by our own thinking our own logic our own opinions we're not gonna make it amen with enticing words of man's wisdom I can't teach you enough to be a good effect soldier there is one aspect that I have no control over except to preach to you somewhere along the way the Holy Ghost has got to blow into your life the Spirit's got to come and fill you up all of my teaching all of my preaching is but in vain until the Spirit comes and gives you the power that you have to have Oh, hallelujah. I won't take the time. You can go home and read Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 11. And you see there the results of trying to live a life that's strictly according to your flesh. As opposed to allowing the Spirit to lead and guide you. If the Spirit is not in you, The spirit is not in you, Paul said. You don't even belong to God. You've got to have that spirit. Now I'm going to close with this. I find it interesting to compare what took place in Ezekiel's vision to what happened in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. Let's read just a few verses of comparison. Ezekiel 37, verse 7. 
So I prophesied as I, prophesied I was commanded. As I was commanded. And as I prophesied, as I prophesied there was a noise. Everyone say there was a noise. There was a noise. And beheld a shaking. And behold a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. There was a noise, amen, in the valley. And you know what happened in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Read. And when the day of Pentecost, day of Pentecost, was, fully Pentecost come, was fully come, they were all, they were with, all one accord with one, one accord in one place. And suddenly and there, came, suddenly a sound from there came a sound. There came a noise, amen, from heaven. Hallelujah. As of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house house where they were were sitting sitting. there was a noise in the valley there was a noise at Pentecost read Ezekiel 37 7 again so I prophesied, I prophesied as, I was as I was commanded. And as I, as prophesied, I prophesied, there was, there a, was noise. a noise. Yes. And behold, there a was shaking. a shaking. Yes. And the bones, and the came, bones together. came together. Bone to his bone. Bone to his bone. There was a coming together. Amen. In the valley, we've already read, they were with one accord in one place. But there was also another coming together at Pentecost. Acts 2, verses 7 and 8. And they were all amazed, they were all amazed and marveled. And marveled, saying, they one to one another. To another. Behold, Behold, are not all these not which, all speak, these which aliens, speak aliens? And how, how we hear every we, man, every man in, our own tongue, in our tongue, wherein, wherein we, were born. we were born. And then it goes through some 16 nations that were gathered together. God began to draw them from all around the world. There was a coming together in the valley, and there was a coming together at Pentecost. And then verses 9 and 10. Then he said unto me, prophesy, prophesy unto the wind, to the wind. Prophesy, prophesy, son of man, and man. say to the wind, say to the wind, thus saith the Lord Thus saith the Lord God, come from the four come winds, the four o winds o breath, and breathe, breathe upon these slain that they may live. Yes. So I prophesied, I prophesied as he commanded me, as he commanded me, and the me. breath came into them, yes. and they lived, yes. and stood upon their feet an exceeding great army. It was the spirit that made the difference in the valley. And what happened at Pentecost, Acts 2 and verse 4. And they were all filled, they were all with, the filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak, and began with, to other speak tongues, with other tongues. As the spirit, as the spirit I'm telling you what changed those simple fishermen, what changed the tax collector, what changed everybody else that was a part of that group of 120 into men that were dynamic and powerful it's not because they made a new year's resolution it's not because they decided to turn over a new leaf it's because the spirit came and when the holy ghost came he turned those dead those dry bones into a dread battalion it's the spirit of god that's going to make the difference in every service Every time we come together, we got to realize if this service is going to be of any value, we need the Holy Ghost to fall. I appreciate our singers. I appreciate our musicians. I appreciate our song leaders. I appreciate the good saints that participate. I appreciate everything that's going on. But listen to me. We can have everything down pat. And if there's not a move of the Holy Ghost, we just wasted our entire time.
If God doesn't show up, we might as well go down the street to some denominal church because we're not going to get any more lasting value. Amen. I'm telling you, we got to have a move of the Holy Ghost. We've got to have an outpouring of his spirit. Every time we come together, we don't have to run the aisles. We don't have to dance and jump, but we do need God to move. Because it's only the spirit that can turn the valley into a place of victory. Let's lift our hands and love him right now.